I um, often, we, we, we look at the, the dog we're raising and say, man, if, if you had that kind of energy or a child, but now I'm going to say, Lord, give me a, a quarter of the energy of Amy Ripkema and I'll be happy. <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, listen, what we're going to talk about, there's people that are like, yeah, that's just all stupid. I, wouldn't, I think it's weird to get all excited or into it at church. Uh, and then you'll see the same person painted at a football game, screaming their head off. Or putting their ball into the hole and it worked. You know, they did it in one stroke and they're jumping up and down, throwing their club in the air. I'm not into all this emotionalism and stuff, they say. <laughs> uh, we're not into emotionalism either. That isn't the point of any of this. Let's see what the point is, I think, as we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. A new development now as we move towards the cross. Then six weeks before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been raised from, who, where Lazarus was, who had been raised from the dead, excuse me, and they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary, she's the sister of Lazarus, another one, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, maybe you've heard of him, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's about a year's wage, that amount of money. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the money box, and he used to take what was put into it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Jesus will stand before Pontius Pilate in a few days from now. And Pontius will ask him, Are you a king then? And Jesus says to him, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause was I born, and for this cause have I come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears me. Well, Jesus was just a great teacher. Jesus was just a great man. Jesus was just a nice guy. Jesus was whatever people want to say. But if you read the Gospels, if you read the story of Jesus' life, if you read what is really about him and his own words, you can only come to one of two conclusions. A madman, a deceiver, or the Son of God. If anybody ever else says to you, he who is of the truth will hear everything I have to say and will follow it, run. That person's really deceived and a deceiver. But not so Jesus. And now his cross is in the horizon very closely, six days away. A third of the Gospel of John is devoted towards this. Lesser but still massive degrees of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are about Jesus' journey to and through the cross. He's at the home not of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There's three accounts of this story, and they don't name her in the other two. On the back of your page, 
later you can read about the connection between the different stories of this story. But they're meeting at another person's house, Simon the leper, which means he's a guy that had leprosy that was cleansed, and we assume by who? Jesus. And he's back in his home, or he was cleansed before he had had to go away into a leper colony. And at the table, there's a guy who's been raised from the dead, and there's a guy who's been cleansed of leprosy. And my friends, this is what we call a Christian dinner. I don't know what you look at as a Christian dinner, but when you have somebody who's been delivered from their death, the death sentence that our sin brings... For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And you see somebody who's been cleansed of a disease that is incurable, and leprosy in the Bible is a picture to us of sin. And somebody who's been cleansed by Jesus, man, you got a Christian dinner, you know. And Lazarus is at the table, as you'd expect. We don't hear him say anything. Martha is serving, as you'd expect. And Mary, just as you'd expect comes and places herself at the feet of Jesus. So many times, this is where we find her. It's almost only where we find her, quietly, contemplatively worshiping, carefully listening to Jesus. Now she brings an offering of extreme value, of extraordinary, extravagant, the term people like to use in their right, is this box in this sealed container you know, you have your CDs for $200,000, $300,000. You have your, your um, um, you know, uh, mutual funds and all that. You have your bank account. You know, all of you, you have all this stuff. But back in that day, they didn't have that kind of stuff. And when you had, when you had value, and you, you would take and find something like this, this extremely expensive oil, perfume mixture, and you would seal it in something and keep it. And, and most likely... In this case, it was for her dowry. Uh, She's unmarried, and it would be something that, now their family wasn't poor, so it wasn't like this is the only thing she ever had, but yet it was extremely valuable. And if it was her dowry, it's really Mary saying, Jesus, I give you my future. I give you my hope. I give you what is, to me, my joy. And then she wipes them with her hair. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, and it's an Old Testament understanding picture painted. I won't explain the whole details now. But it says a woman's glory is her hair. If you have short hair, ladies, do not worry. It's okay. But a woman's hair is her glory. And so looking back at that view, here she gives her future and her hope and her glory in worship to God. If you catch it, I think it's a very beautiful thing, don't you? Judas has no right to tell her what to do with this. Nor does Judas have any concern whatsoever for the poor. It's like, it's like Caiaphas who said, well, it's good for the people that one man died for them. He didn't know he was prophesying. We did this last week, but he certainly knew how to be a good politician. The people and Judas, the poor, as if either of them cared. You know, those who claim that Judas was just a poor, misguided, confused guy when he betrays Jesus, it's just because he's a nice guy that kind of got mixed up. Poor Judas you know, I guess they just haven't read the Bible. You know, they haven't read the Gospel of John. And why else would Jesus say it would have been better if that man had never been born? That kind of seals it for me. When Jesus says, that guy who would do this, knowing what was going to happen, not making it happen, we don't have to figure that out. God knows what's going to happen, whether he touches it or not. 
He takes responsibility for the universe, absolutely. Are you going to figure this out? What things God makes happen and what thing God allows to happen? Well, you have fun. Because you're not going to figure everything out. And nobody's doctrine is going to completely figure it out. We stand in awe of God. And some of these things that are harder to the humble heart, it causes the humble heart to be more broken. causes the humble heart to be more purified. You know, when I see that God's bigger than I am and the way he deals with man is strong and yet tender, and yet I don't understand some of the hard things, Old Testament or New, if my heart is humbled, it has a way of purifying me and making me bow to the one that is bigger than me that I don't fully understand. When you see that you don't understand God, you have another choice. Well, if it doesn't make sense to me, I don't need to listen to it. If I were God, I'd be this way. Well, could we say that's slightly arrogant? And, of course, I've said this a lot lately, but I'll say it again. If, you, if I was God, I'd do this and that. Well, what are you doing that's real God-like right now that shows us that? Like, are you in that flow? <laughs> so that we could say, oh, he's so God-like, so perfect in his way. She is. I don't know anybody really like that. I know people who do good things. But to the humble heart, these things are purifying. To a hardened heart, there's a solidifying that can happen where a person gets completely set in their way and will not hear from God because they're so sure of themselves. Can I say to you and to me, don't be that person. Whatever you can do, don't be that person. Now, Matthew tells us the disciples are actually influenced. It wasn't just Judas. You're sure that he started the ball rolling, but they go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the pure and to the poor? Uh, you know, what a waste. And many times people see believers giving their time, their money, their energy and service as a waste. And that we understand. Your non-believing friends and family will not get until God lets them get it and God reveals himself to them why you would invest your life and energy and time and money into the kingdom of God. Are you kidding me? You only get one weekend a week. <laughs> how's, your, how's your lawn ever going to get done? We were, I mentioned the first service. and there, Listen, uh, I take, we, we take care of our yard, or we need to a little bit better. And, um, but um, it just, I think our friends come from Malawi, and the first thing I think of is they look around and they see, well, the first thing is the blessing God's given us is they go, how is it you have houses out here so nice and no fences around them? And they don't mean picket fences. They mean fences with wire at the top. So, you know, we have trouble in our land, we have problems, but we can paint it really worse than it is if you think about how blessed we are. They just can't comprehend, are you going to lock the car? Well, you know, at the store maybe, if I have anything in it, but at a home... No, so if you, if anybody in here, you're visiting and you're a thief, you can have the corn nuts that are in the car, okay? <laughs> They're yours. I'm not, I don't think anybody, but, you know, yeah, we don't lock it that much. You know, I don't know where you live, but there are places where you have to and places where you don't, but there's so much open space and freedom. And then, of course, our lawns, you know, they go, I'm sure they're going, like, why aren't you planting corn or vegetables? This is valuable property. <laughs> and it's, you know, anyway. 
Um, there's, there's a track somewhere, and I'm going to get back on it. Okay. Um, so what a waste. What a waste of time. What a waste of energy. You know, now, among, but among believers, some people see the lavishing of worship on the Lord as a waste, and that's sad when believers don't understand. Now, there are two sides to this coin, at least. I know two sides. You might know ten sides. But there are people who, I don't mean because they're late getting to church, relax. I mean they purposely don't come when they're singing and wait to come and just hear teaching. They're very pragmatic. They're very logical. They're not really interested in that. It kind of bothers them, and they don't like to sing. And they just come to hear teaching. That's not real healthy. There's also people that don't want to hear teaching and just want to come and worship and just get the touchy-feely stuff. That's not healthy either. And it's a little bit sad because you can end up on these two sides of a coin that really was meant to be valuable by having both sides. And um, it's not a waste. It's important. And um, for somebody to say, I'm just not into worship, is like an Old Testament Jew saying, well, you know, I'm just not into bulls and goats and lambs and blood and altars. You know, well, God has prescribed for you how to get close to him because he knows how to break down your walls and your selfism. We go, well, some people are just naturally into it, but there's still a way. They have another way that God deals with them, okay? We aren't here to critique each other. We're here to learn what we can about what God wants to do in our life. Is that true? You know, we're not here to gain ammunition to shoot at somebody else. I hope you're not. Because what we really need is for God to move in our hearts, isn't it? I mean, unless you've arrived, <laughs> but would you help me? Because I have not arrived. You know, I have a growth to do. I have things to learn on both sides of these issues. And so there's this, uh, there can be a tension. I love it that we have people in our church from Pentecostal background and Baptist. By the way, no offense at all, John, but just for clarity, it's, it wasn't Emmanuel Baptist. It's a Methodist Episcopal Church, whatever that means. But, I mean, I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, just to clarify, because it just flows really, Emmanuel Baptist. But <laughs> if it does. But, but the point is, is that, there are people in our group from all backgrounds, and I think we get along really well. I don't think we're perfect. I think we're rough around the edges sometimes, aren't we? Our worship is rough around the edges sometimes in the sense that we don't have this uh, polished team. Uh, our musicians got together last night for an, a, an event, and people were saying, yeah, it's kind of fun how we just don't know who's going to do worship and, and how it's going to go and, <laughs> and everything else. And, and it's kind of just more, to use uh, Joel's term, organic um, yes, it works. It works for a lot. Whenever you don't want to say, just say hey, it's organic, and people think you're really smart and cool. Because like, I have no idea what that means. Okay, I, I kind of thought an apple is organic, no matter where it grew. It's in, you know. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, you know, wasting time, wasting energy. I don't, I don't think so. You know, but it is an interesting thing. Music and worship is not the whole focus here, okay? But let me take a minute. Uh, you know, there's so many sides to a coin. A worship leader can get up and say, let's all just wave our arms up high and say, I love you, Jesus. Well, I could see myself doing that in the right setting. On the other hand, when you're trying to get people 
to draw near to God in some intimate way, and they don't have a relationship with him necessarily. It's like telling somebody to just go over and kiss your acquaintance on the lips. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is that side, is that you don't want to try to squeeze people into a behavior to say this is how you worship, and this is only how you worship. Well, doesn't the scripture say, lift holy hands? I would that men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands. I will lift up my hands in the sanctuary. You're right. That's why we encourage the things that the scripture says. But on the other side is you don't want to demand. I never go to a place where it's much calmer, and we're not exactly over-the-top exuberant, but to some people, we're about the edge of what they could handle. And that's okay. You know, the reason we're kind of in the middle is because that's, as a church direction, that's kind of where we feel. We're somewhere, we move around, and maybe we'll move more, but we'll, we'll probably never be, some of you might really want us to become very, very expressive and Pentecostal and dancing, and we probably won't because we'll freak people out that would come in here that need to hear the word, and this is who God's made us to be, as best we can tell. Now, there's places that's wonderful. If you're in a place where everybody's shouting out and screaming and, and praying in tongues and all of that, and, and that's, then that's a, a great thing um, in, the, in the right setting. I'd have to explain all the doctrine I believe about that. But basically, that's fine. But if I, I've sat next to somebody who consistently through the worship some time ago, someplace, where when I was with them, they would never sing the songs but just talk to God and praise and worship the whole time. And I, I had to move away so I could sing the song because I couldn't hear or think about the song because I'm hearing this other person and they're in a setting where not if everybody's doing that that's great but if nobody else is doing it you're kind of creating a scene does that make sense to you I don't mean to be oppressive to anyone but there's loving each other there's corporate worship and there's private worship there's small groups who all agree and there's big groups who all agree and there's being knowing the difference and being able to worship and yet not distract others but the other side of the coin is there's people who, you know, this is where I am, and I'm not budging. Well, praise God for how he's working in your life. You must feel free. Are you free? Are you free? Or are you bound? Are you uptight? God wants to set you free. I don't, you want me to put out a measuring stick of what you can and can't do? Sorry. Could God move in us a different way? Could God move corporately in a group that's very calm and make them expressive and it wouldn't be distracting? He can do that. He can do whatever he wants. But for those of you who are more free, be free and love your brethren. And for those of you who are a little more tender about this and you don't know where you're like, this isn't that comfortable for you, relax. We're not, I don't think our job's to pressure you. But I'm challenging you aren't I, to, is God free in your life to move? Because I'll tell you, there's, 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 why does God do what he does? Um, you know, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Why I get you have to love your brother even when you're worshiping and not just go crazy, is because, uh, go, you know, crazy, go, go completely into your own world, is because you're not just in your own world. You're in a world with other people, and you're loving them. And the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Corinthians 14 says, you're not, I couldn't help myself. I, I, I don't see that in scripture. 
I don't see that in Scripture. If the Scripture didn't say the spirit of the prophets, I mean, a prophecy is even more important than just me worshiping. And if I can say, well, no, I better not say this right now. I better wait and have it judged later or do something. Then it must mean I have some control. There's this wonderful, beautiful thing where the Holy Spirit works in you. He's moving you. And yet you're making a decision on how you're going to deal with it. And it's challenging because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be bigger than what you can fit in your brain. Are you an engineer? You like to come in after the worship. <laughs> Not necessarily, Ruth. <laughs> but, I mean, if your mind always works as an engineer, then you just like everything figured out mathematically. But God's bigger than your math equation. The church needs all kinds of people. And I'm so glad that I'm in the midst of people that are so many different ways. And I think that that's a testimony if we can be together and love each other, don't you? By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have rockin' music. Well, no matter how much you rock, you don't rock as good as the world in their realm. Sorry. <laughs> they have all the tools, and they spend all their time. You know, some Christian bands do rock really well, but that's not what it's about. We're just as good as the world. No, we're different than the world. We love each other, and we love them. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by your love one to another. So you get to figure out what that means for you in your walk with other people, here and everywhere. So, but as we said, there's something more to this, deeper than the church meeting. As noted, the disciples were influenced by Judas. Would you call that being wrongly influenced? Would you say somebody who's being influenced by Judas Iscariot is getting it wrong? Can I have a little feedback so I know you're out there? Okay. <laughs> I can hear you breathing. Okay. Shouldn't they have been influenced by Mary? Wouldn't that be who you'd want to be influenced by in that moment? I know for some of us it's like, yeah, but that was weird. and it was, But it wasn't as weird as Judas, okay? It was weird but wonderful. His was diabolical. Be sure, be sure about what's influencing you to think the way you think. Are you sure that your mind's working right, that your thought processes are correct? Have you gone before the Lord with it? And that means about anything. And, even the, and that's why we say, I may teach, I may share, but I expect you. And I, my responsibility is to give my best, but your responsibility is to listen your best and check it out and make sure as, and we've never used this verse for a long time in a church that talks about the word so much. The Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they went to search the scriptures to see if the things Paul told them were true. So you have a job to do when you leave here. You didn't punch a clock here, and you don't get brownie points for it. And I know you know that. But if anybody doesn't, maybe now you do. I don't know. But shouldn't they have influenced by Mary? See, Jesus would say in Matthew and in, I believe, Luke, in the same story, don't stop her. You always have the poor. You want a chance to do good for the poor? Is that your concern? Well, go do it. There's lots of opportunities, and they'll never go away. Well, I think the church ought to. I think the church ought to. I think the church ought to. It seems to me that people that would say that the most that way are people that have opportunity to do some things to lead the way and say, hey, I'm doing this. Would anybody like to help me? 
That's a little better than I think the church ought to. What does that mean? If it means the pastor, I'm already way past my limit of capacity. (laughs) And I don't think here we have that, but it is a tendency in man, is I think the church ought to. Well, you're the church. What ought you to do? And some of you do it beautifully, and you lead me, and I thank you. So while I'm being strong, I'm also being thankful. Listen, Jesus said this is going to be a testimony, a memorial for her through all generations. It's 2015, and we're talking about Mary and what she did. And you know what? It's not just a memorial where we put up a plaque to her. It's a testimony that speaks to our hearts, and we can get something out of it. You know, her purpose was love for Jesus, not influencing other people. And she somewhat understood his death that nobody understood. Were these guys maybe intimidated by her um, abandonment to Jesus? I think they were. Because you know what? What's the saying? I've been there. I've done that. I got the t-shirt. I've been there. Have you ever been there where somebody's just really loving Jesus? Whether it's the worship style or something else, they're passionately, I think perhaps our sister was up here sharing joyfully. And somebody was intimidated by it. Well, I hope you didn't say I never want to be that way. I hope you said I wish I could be that way. I need to be that way. Not that we all have to be expressive like that. But don't you want to have love and passion? Or, I mean, what do you want? Do you want to have love and passion? Those things sound pretty good to me. They can express themselves many different ways. We don't have to be exuberant outwardly. But love and passion sound pretty good. Kind of like Bible stuff. Kind of like Jesus stuff. <laughs> so, something happened, though. Even though she's the only one who really understood, and we don't know that she understood everything that was going to happen, but she saw Jesus facing suffering, and she listened carefully, and she heard him say, I'm going up to Jerusalem. The chief elders and priests are going to beat me, spit on me and hang me on a cross, and I'll rise the third day. Well, did she know all that in detail? I don't know. But compared to everybody else, she knew way, she's the only one that understood that he was going to suffer. And the fragrance of her offering filled the house. Now listen, have you been to a Middle Eastern home during cooking time? Have you, you know, some of you eat, you know, like rice cakes and um, oatmeal. <laughs> and some of you eat Italian food, and there's a certain aroma. Some of you have cooked, you know, cook a turkey, and it fills the house, kind of. But let me tell you, East, Eastern spices are really strong, right? And her, the fragrance of this offering just overshadowed all that food smell. That's pretty big. Okay. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of her offering. You know, what a beautiful thing. The body of Christ needs clear-thinking people who can administrate, people who can be logical and use wisdom, engineers and scholars, people who study and understand, and people who think things through and put things together spiritually and physically and relationally. But what we need to understand is there's no gift of wisdom like knowing what to do pragmatism knowing what to do there's no gift of wisdom that replaces sitting at the feet of Jesus there's no gift that replaces sitting at the feet of Jesus 
I've got to try to think of another way to say it. There's no gift that replaces sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's no tool. There's no seven-step program. There's no 12-step program. There's no one-step program. There's no three steps to spiritual growth. Blah, 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 blah. Book after 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 seminar after seminar after seminar after seminar after conference after conference. That replaces sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's never, ever, I'm now, you can search this out and see if Rick's being too bold. It's never going to happen. Those tools can be helpful to you, and if they're helpful to you, at some point they'll remind you, I could have gone and sat, and I need to go and sit at the feet of Jesus. I can't process this. I can't put this all in this little box and make it all work. Christianity does not work by implementing a plan. Christianity works by getting to know a person. And I am guilty in the first degree of not sitting at the feet of Jesus when I have so much opportunity to. Got a feeling I'm not alone. What a beautiful thing. I mean, if my kids had only wanted, Dad, I need some money. Dad, I want you to take me somewhere. Um, they would have been normal. <laughs> no, but, but those times when my kids said, I just want to sit on your lap. When they just reached out their arms. When they just come hang out with me. What a beautiful thing. For my wife and I, I mean, there's times we say, what should we do about the yard? <laughs> or the basement, or do we need to go to the store together and get this or that? But there's times where we just sit on two couches, you know, the, and just read a book, but we're in the same room, and we're just being together, and we just feel it, you know? We just, we're just being together. So this isn't, okay, here's the lesson on how to get what you want from God. Here's six steps to be achieving successful life in America 2015. Sorry, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to know Jesus Christ. This is eternal life that they know you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ. Most of the time when I'm counseling, even though I'm weak myself and need to be reminded, I'm being reminded today of my need, I'm a, I admit it. But most of the time when I'm counseling, the biggest thing that people are struggling with is they're not spending time at Jesus' feet, either individually or perhaps as a couple, because he won't fail you. But if you're there just to get an answer so you can get on your way, I got 10 minutes, God, I'll sit at your feet, go. <laughs> if that's what you have to give God, you can expect to hear a pin drop because he's not interested in fitting into your, your plan. He, and it's because he loves you too much. It's because he knows what you really need. He knows what you really need. And what you really need isn't to get a, a running orders list from God, you know, a shopping list for Home Depot. You need God himself. Do you need God himself? Isn't that really the issue? It, wouldn't that change a lot about everything that bothers you? I mean, really, wouldn't it, it wouldn't fix everything, but wouldn't it change a lot? 
if in the middle of a moment you said, gosh, what I really need is you. Now, I could talk about this for hours because it's so true and right, but maybe it would be to try to comfort myself on my own need to just do it. So I'll keep moving. So, no, nothing replaces. And in Mary's Bible school and her calculation about how to give God what she was going to give him, you know, okay, this is exactly my percent. <laughs> it didn't come from anything, Bible school or a calculator. It came from, it was formulated at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you struggle to have or understand, and I'll use the word that kind of makes some people uncomfortable, and then I'll use a different word to help you out and make you relax if I can. If you struggle to have or understand intimacy with the Lord, don't say that word. That sounds like different, weird. Well, if you struggle with that, if you struggle with being close to God, being near to him, if you struggle understanding it, the, the best thing to do is to learn from Mary's story. It wasn't given to us just to applaud her with a golf clap. It was given to us that it might change and help us. Don't miss it. Don't reason it away. Let it penetrate our hearts. You know, I've got some cream at home. And it's uh, cream for arthritis and stuff, and it's good stuff, and it smells. And the doctor said I got, you know, I'm like most people my age, I got arthritis. or st- So I got this thing in the shoulder. I wake up in the middle of the night. It really hurts. And I get up and go somewhere where I won't not gale to the moon if she happens to get up at the same time because I do this windmills thing that he showed me. And it really helps. But it doesn't help perfectly. It would really help. He said, well, if you got that cream, you should put that cream on. But I'm lazy, especially in the middle of the night. And I also don't like the smell. I don't want to have to take my shirt and, you know, and, Whatever, what, what am I saying here that I want everybody to feel sorry about my physical condition? No, I'm saying here that, you know, you go to the doctor, he gives you a prescription, he tells you what to do about something, you know, you put it on the shelf and don't use it. I know nobody here hasn't, has done that, but, you know, uh, you're not really getting the best benefit uh, for your buck, you know. I'm going to get out of Mary's testimony exactly what I'm willing to let penetrate my heart, and uh I suggest that you and I let the counselor counsel us. You see, what I mean by this is when you ask God, um, Lord, why do I struggle in this area so much? Don't ask him in passing. I mean, you can ask him, you can ask him whatever you want. You can talk to God about whatever you want. I don't want to control that. I'm suggesting something to you. Is that if you're really going to ask God, why do I struggle so much in this area? It's painful what I'm going to tell you. But sit at his feet. Spend some time there with him. Talk it over with him. Well, you know, God knows everything. He's not like the doctor that I have to tell him my symptoms. He already knows me. You're absolutely correct. He knows you better than you know yourself. But why do we pray at all? Why don't I go, why don't we as a group go, all right, we're going to pray. Okay, God, you know everything in this room, right? Okay, take care of it. Thanks. Okay, uh, I'm going to worship God. Just look. You know, all those songs, all those words. You, okay, Lord. <laughs> you got it. See that? Okay, I believe those things. Okay. Uh, why, why do we pray at all? Do we pray so that God will understand us? Like, God, I know you're not getting this, so I'm going to tell it to you one more time. So you can... Are you got a pen? I mean, you're not doing that, are you? Are you? <laughs> Dale, you're not doing that, are you? Okay. Because 
God isn't looking for more information from you. If you just get, we want to tell each other every detail so we'll pray properly. Like, but God knows every detail of everything you'd ever thought, every attitude you've ever had, everything you're in the middle of right now, and everything you're going to be in in the future. So you're not giving God information. And I kind of think when we pray, we try too hard to give everybody else information. I really do. I think we could be more focused on just, they'll, they'll get it, and, 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 and God will minister. I'm, I'm kind of bent that way, and I might be too bent that way. But um, I don't really like prayer meetings where you spend half of the time explaining what you want to pray for. I do not enjoy that. I figure we don't. Once in a while, you need to talk it out. That's a little different. But as far as explaining what we're praying for, I figure it's pretty simple on God's end. And, and I'm just saying that to say my real point is that's a bent I have, and I work on it because I'm weak and have my problems. But I also love praying with people, and I love knowing that God understands everything I'm going to say. So that means that I know, and you know, that you're going to God so that you can bear your heart before him so that he can show you things, so that he can work on things. And sometimes the best counsel you'll ever get will not be from another person, a professional, or a Christian friend or counselor. It'll be from God. Those things are valuable, but they're not more valuable than being able to talk to God. And so, you know, why do we confess? Why do we make requests? Why do we worship outwardly? Because we are getting our soul out and bearing it before God. And his method of counseling us is drawing us out. So why don't we today, as we finish, without any pressure on you to do something right now, are you clear on this? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to rise to any level. But we're going to take some time to worship again so that we can just soak in it. And you can, if you want to come and kneel before the Lord, if you want to pour your heart out, we're not judging you. Uh, You know, don't get so loud that you distract everybody, but don't be afraid to have out loud time. Just don't be afraid to just sit there quietly and ponder the Lord with yourself because we're not here to control it, but we want to have some time. So the musicians are going to come up, and rather than me just keep talking, we're going to just spend some time.